Well, good morning again, church family. Uh, it's good to see every one of you. We're, we're starting uh, a new sermon series today. We've, we have finished, officially finished our sermon series through the Gospel of John. Uh, that was a, a wonderful time being in that gospel. Um, and as I was prayerfully thinking about uh, what to preach on next, kind of what does the Lord want me to say? Where, where does our church need to go in this next season? Um, you know, I kind of thought, you know, our church is in a time where we need to uh, focus on vision of what's next. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we actually recently completed uh, essentially a five-year plan. Uh, five years ago, we started a vision process of uh, what, what's our, uh, what is God calling us to do in this community and how are we, we going to go about doing it. One of those was that we wanted to um, focus uh, intentional effort on outreach. So we created a brand new staffing position, which has now resulted in uh, Pastor Zach's and Marie for a time, who was serving on staff with us. Um, we also wanted to uh, restructure our governance uh, to be effective and for our volunteers and our ministry teams. Uh, and we also wanted to refresh this building uh, that God has given us so that it would serve the next generations to, to, to come. Uh, well, we kind of completed all those things. Check, check, check. Uh, can, can we give gra- uh, praise to God for His grace in helping us with, the, with these plans? Um, I mean, we discerned all the things that we wanted to do. We thought, this, is, this might be too big for us. Um, but God has been faithful. God has been faithful. Um, but now that we look back, uh, our leadership council was recently meeting and we said, you know, it's time now to develop the next plan. Where do we, where do we go from here? Um, so your leadership council is going to be engaging you, engaging all of us in a vision process of what is God calling us to do next? What does God want us to do, Faith Covenant to do, uh, over the next three to five years? Um, what goals might he have us to do? So I think it's important that we would focus on uh, vision to help us with that. Um, you see, when you set out to accomplish a vision, you need to have the right vision in mind or it can really mess things up. Let me give you an example. Uh, we used to have uh, some beautiful bushes on our back patio at the Parsonage. This beautiful green bush in our, on the back patio and it gave us privacy, it shaded us from the sun, but the problem was it had grown a little bit too big, uh, so it was blocking uh, a window to our dining room. And so uh, we asked the, the landscapers, hey, our, our vision is that you would just trim this up a little bit so that light can enter the window. Well, the landscapers come, and their vision of trimming <laughs> was a lot different than my vision of trim, trimming. I was thinking like trimming, like a foot, maybe. Well, they came in. They took like four feet of this bush. It was like gone. Like there was just like, you know, brown dead branches everywhere. And we like held out hope for a year or two that maybe these bushes will grow back. But they didn't. They died. (laughs) They killed these bushes and we had to dig them out. Is that right, Bill Humor? We had to dig those bushes out because they trimmed so much. When you are not aligned to the right vision, things can go really wrong. So we, we believe it's important to spend some time. We want our church's vision to be aligned with God's vision of where he is taking us. So we're going to spend all summer in the prophets learning about God's vision for the world because we want God's vision to, to shape, to inform, and to inspire our own. We want the church's vision to be aligned with his will. We want to partner with what God wants to do in our community. That's our job. So we're going to be spending about uh, a month each in the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. 
and, uh, which I'm just frankly really excited about. Uh, these are like really uh, big books in the Bible, and uh, we don't really spend enough time in them. You might hear about Isaiah around Christmas time, but we really don't spend much time in Jeremiah, and really everyone pretty much avoids Ezekiel. Um, we don't know what's going on in that book. But, so I'm excited. We're going to spend some, uh, a good chunk of time so that we're well acquainted with the, the prophetic visions of, the, uh, of these books. So like I said, we're, we're starting a new sermon series. It's called Prophetic Vision, Seeing the World Through God's Eyes. And if, we can get, if you can get vi- your vision uh, aligned, uh, uh, if we can get our vision as a church aligned with God's, not only will it guide the church, it's also going to guide your life your relationships, your calling, your family, and all that you do. And so we're beginning with a vision from the prophet Isaiah uh, in Isaiah chapter 2. And I invite you to turn with me there in your Bibles or your phones, whatever you look at for Scripture. Uh, This is an incredible vision Isaiah gives because it comes at a time when the world and the nation of Israel looked nothing like the vision that he paints. You see, at the time, Israel and Judah, they were worshiping the, the, the false idols and gods of the nations around them. Israel was full of violence. The leaders were corrupt, accepting bribes. There was rampant social injustice. The orphans and the widows, they were not taken care of, and they were disobeying the Torah with their evil deeds and sin. But Isaiah sees a different future for the people. He sees a different future. Now, I want to clarify uh, this, is, this vision, this is different than, say, like a business casting a vision uh, for their future. Uh, those types of visions, they, they may or may not happen, depending upon uh, people's effort or the market forces or all, all kinds of things. Those visions, those are just kind of like an idea. Those are a proposal. Those are a goal. Uh, but God's vision for the world will come to pass because it is a promise that God will establish His future he will establish the world that he dreams of and plans for. So this is really important. Prophetic vision, it gives us both hope and direction. It, it gives us hope because this is the world that God will one day establish, the world, the world that we long for it to be. And it also gives us direction because this is the kind of world the church ought to be working towards. Does that make sense to you? It gives us hope. This is what will be. As we sang earlier, there will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when tears are no more. It's a promise. But it also gives us direction. If this is where God is bringing the world, this is how we ought to be living today. So despite how bleak, despite how wicked, despite how unjust and evil things looked at the time, Isaiah saw a vision where God would one day bring the world. That's what it says in uh, verse 1. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is his vision. This is where the world is going. I want to give three points about uh, the vision that uh, Isaiah had for the people. Number one is this. God will bring about a world where people from all nations will worship him. It says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Now, this is really poetic language. If you heard this as an Israelite, you would be astounded. You might even laugh at how preposterous this claim is. You see, the Lord's temple was on Mount Zion, which was a hundred feet above sea level. If you know anything about 
mountains. That's not really a mountain. It's more of a big hill. You know, I, I mean, when I went to Israel, that was one, one thing that really astounded me because you read about all these mountains in Scripture and you get there, you're like, where are the mountains? <laughs> oh, that's Mount Zion? What? I mean, it's, really, it's really that different. Um, you know, they do not look like the Rockies at all. Uh, to give you a little bit of context, uh, Klingman's Dome in the Great Smokies, the highest mountain there, is uh, 6,600 feet above sea level. Pikes Peak in Colorado is over 14,000 feet. Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world, is 29,000 feet above sea level. That's like stacking Mount Zion on top of itself 12 times. In Israel itself, they had Mount Hermon to the north, which was uh, over 9,000 feet above sea level. If any Israelite had traveled to the nation of Babylon, they would have encountered uh, the Zagros Mountains, which were similar to the Rockies, a lot of them towering over 14,000 feet. The people of Assyria would have seen Mount Elbrus towering over 18,000 feet, seven times the height of Mount Zion. And Isaiah has the audacity to say, he says, Mount Zion is going to be established as the highest of all mountains. What? Has anybody here ever been to Mount Hoy? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Mount Hoy, you know that, that hill that was a formerly a trash dump in Blackwell Forest Preserve? That big hill in Blackwell? This would be like saying, uh, Mount Hoy is going to be established as the highest of all mountains in the U.S. People from all over the world are going to stream to Mount Hoy because they can't wait to go hiking and climb. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, what, what, is, what is the significance of this? Well, you see, in the ancient mindset, gods lived on the mountains. Uh, it was a place where heaven and earth could meet. You're familiar with the Greek gods who lived on Mount Olympus, right? So to say that Mount Zion, where, where Yahweh, the God of Israel, dwelled, this, to say that the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, this is to say that the God of Israel would establish his supremacy over all rival gods. And the nations will realize that the God of Israel is the real God and the one deserving of worship. They will travel from great distances, from all kinds of lands, to come recognize and acknowledge the God of Israel. He is the God of all gods. That's what it's saying. And I think part of the point of the mountain being so tall is that it draws people in. I mean, this is why thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people all over America, all over the world, they travel to tall mountains. The Smiths, you guys just got back from, from Denver and Colorado. Wasn't it amazing to see those tall mountains? It draws people to these tall mountains to go see them. And this is the point. This tall mountain is going to attract people from all nations, bringing, bringing them to acknowledge the God of Israel. And it says all the nations will stream to it. Now, if the mountain is so tall, how does a stream move upward to the tallest mountain in the universe. Now, the biblical scholar Alec Moyer said, the natural impossibility of a stream flowing upwards is intentional. It's a, sup a supernatural magnetism is at work. The stream of the nations flowing. This is poetic, visionary language. This is why we don't take all these things literally. This is how we read prophetic texts different than other texts. And this is the world that God will bring about. That gives us hope. This is what will happen someday, one day. But this also gives us direction, right? 
Because Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom. The kingdom's in process. It's, it's, it's already, but it's not yet. This is beginning to be already. And Jesus commissioned the church to go make disciples of what? All nations, right? And Jesus said when He was lifted up from the earth, He would draw, he would draw all people unto Himself. And by the sending of the Holy Spirit, which we celebrated at Pentecost recently, we are now the Lord's temple. We are now the Lord's temple. So if God's vision is a world where the nations are drawn to His temple, they're drawn to God's presence, we need to ask, are we participating in this vision? Are are people drawn to the church like a tall mountain, just wanting to come and acknowledge and worship God with us? Is the church a city on a hill that's not hidden? Is our light shining before all people that they might see our good deeds and glorify or worship our Father who is in heaven? Is our witness drawing people in or does it repel them away? See, the church, by our lives and deeds, we should be sparking wonder, curiosity, and attraction in the lost world around us. God's vision is a world where people are drawn in to His presence, drawn in to worship Him. That's the first part of Isaiah's vision. The second is this, is that God will bring about a world that is righteous and just. Now, it's amazing to me, these Gentiles, these people from all nations, they're so God that they, they want to encourage all the people around them. I mean, uh, and I just think, oh, that we would be just as excited as these people. In fact, isn't this speaking about us in some ways? In verse 3, it says, many peoples will come and say, come, come, let's, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord together. Let's go hiking up this mountain into God's presence. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, God envisions a world where, where, where people learn his, his righteous ways, His decrees from His word, from His law. They learn His ways and they, they walk in them. This means forsaking the way of darkness to walk in His paths. So people will be individually transformed in their hearts and character. But God is also going to, not just to transform individuals, He's going to transform society and the world as well. Jumping down to verse 4, it says, He will judge between the nations and He will settle disputes for many peoples. You see, the, the injustices, the, the, the conflicts, the disputes, the ways people have been oppressed and mistreated, abused or neglected, this will be put to right by God. God will bring about a world where all is set right and all disputes are ended and settled, and no one will question the rightness or justice or mercy of it all. It will be exactly and perfectly as it should be. In a, in a, in a world where it's pretty easy to acknowledge all across the globe that this is surely not the case right now, this is really good news. God will bring this about. This is the promise. It will be right one day. It will be right. That gives us hope. It will work out in the end. But this also gives us direction, right? It gives us a path for our feet because through the kingdom of Jesus, God is bringing this about now by His word that was sent out beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The word is going out from Jerusalem, showing people how to walk in the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus transforms us, we learn to forsake all ways of unrighteousness and injustice and live 
uh, rightly and justly to those around us. And if this is God's dream of a society that is, that is full of justice and righteousness, we have to ask ourselves, how can I, how can we, how can the church participate in being God's righteous people and pursuing justice in the world? Do we show the world God's ways? Do we show the world the right way to live, the path to walk in life? Does our message reflect the ways of God? Do we participate in bringing about a more just society for all? I think about what God said to the people in Deuteronomy. I have this up for you. Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 6 says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, that's Moses, so that you may follow them in the Lord you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this, is a, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. See, it's by how we live. It's by our walk. It's by as we walk in God's path, as Isaiah said. We learn to walk in His right and just ways. The people around us will say, whoa, something is different about this people. They are wise and understanding because they follow the true God. So this is how we pursue God's vision as we live out, uh, living rightly and living justly. And finally, God promises this. God will bring about a world where everyone lives in peace. Where everyone lives in peace. The result of the nations coming to God and learning His ways results in nothing less than entire world peace. This is such an amazing promise. Verse 4. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. In the last days, people will transform weapons of war and violence into tools of agriculture, tools that help cultivate living things and bring life to other people. Swords will be turned into plowshares, it said. That's the, that's the metal part of the plow that, that uh, t- turns up the ground to prepare for seeds to be planted. And it says, spears will become pruning hooks, which those are exactly like they sound. They were tools uh, in the shape of a hook that were used for pruning plants, uh, for gardening and planting. You know, our world is still full of so much suffering, so much violence. Whether it's the ongoing war in Russia and Ukraine, whether it's violence in Sudan or other places, or whether it's violence in American neighborhoods, People are losing their lives. Families grieve, those who are missing. But God dreams of a world, and He'll bring about a world where guns become garden tools, where tanks become plows, where drones don't drop bombs, but they drop seeds to plant the earth. War and violence will become things of the old world. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Nationalism and all of its conflicts will be gone, and the whole world will live as one community in peace. No one will even train for war anymore. It won't even be thought of. I mean, this sounds like complete utopia, because it is. And this, is, this will be one day. This will be one day. This gives us hope. And in our fallen world, certainly this won't be fully realized until Jesus comes again. But however, our task in the meantime is to extend this kingdom, this this vision of the kingdom of God, 
We have direction. Don't we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Don't we want to pray and work towards this vision of what the world, where God wants to bring the world? But how do we do this? You know, in a world and culture that often glorifies violence and weapons, in a world that believes that they are necessary for resolving conflicts, in a world that believes that, that one ought to use violence and weapons to protect their rights, how can Christians legitimately propose this vision and live and work towards it? These prophetic visions, they should inspire us to think creatively. How can we participate in bringing about this world that God dreams of? And I, I just want to give you an example of, of one organization that, that's really inspired me. Uh, it's an or- organization called Raw Tools. Raw is the word war flipped backwards. And what they do is they, they take weapons that uh, typically have been used in some uh, unholy purpose. And they literally transform them. They beat them down into garden tools. They are taking this verse literally and transforming weapons of violence into garden tools. Uh, and they have locations uh, right now currently in Philadelphia and in Colorado. And they often work with communities that have been impacted by all of the gun violence that you've seen on the news over the past couple years. And as I read about the organization, um, something I didn't really think about really struck me is that often after you know, one of these uh, murders or a suicide, a family loses a loved one. So tragic. What's even more tra- uh, tragic is that they're often left with the gun that was used in the atrocity. If you're a parent, what do you do with that? Well, if you go to Raw Tools, you bring that gun, and like a blacksmith, they will heat it up really hot, fiery red hot, and they'll put it on an anvil. They'll hand the parent or the family member a big hammer, and then they invite them to, with all of their pain, with all of the trauma that they've experienced from this, and they just start beating on this gun, taking out their pain, transforming it, a tool of death into a tool of life, as the founders say. And you can just see the pain and the trauma just it's being unleashed as these people participate in the transformation of death to life. You may not be called to partner with Raw Tools or start something like that, but I tell you this because we need to be thinking creatively like that. How might we participate in bringing about a world of peace? Jesus said, didn't he not? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That's our vision. That's our hope. This vision should inspire us to pursue bringing about this world that God dreams about, a world without violence, a world where all live in peace. So just to summarize Friends, this is, your, this is our hope. God will bring about a world where people from all nations will acknowledge Him. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord. People will live righteously and justly. All wrongs will be settled. settled. Violence will be gone. Every tear wiped from, from our eyes and the whole world will live together in peace. This is where the world's going. So I just simply ask you, how, how can you and how can all of us partner with God to bring the world he dreams of.